This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. Welcome to week three of our Messy series. And if we're learning anything so far, I hope we're learning that people are messy, that relationships are messy, that community is messy, even and especially Christian community is messy. And loving people isn't always easy, but it's what we're made to do. In week one, we talked about learning how to love ourselves. And we talked about learning how to be thankful that God uses my messiness to minister to and even more to qualify me as a witness to his gospel. Last week, we talked about loving our neighbors, about how we, we need to overcome our addiction to convenience and be about the work of loving the people around us. This week, we're going to take one more step. From Matthew chapter 5, it is our tradition now, I want you to stand. It is our tradition to honor and revere the Word of God and the authority of God so that when we listen to Scripture, we stand. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father, this is a heavy word. And it takes more than I have in me. Father, may we be a people who love our enemies well. And it's hard to imagine all that that includes, God, when I pray that prayer. But I pray that we can be your people and love our enemies well. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're in Matthew 5 which 
If you have studied your Bible some, you may know that between Matthew 5 and Matthew 7, Jesus is preaching one of the most famous sermons, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. I want to set a little context of what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. In Matthew chapter 5, if you start, it starts with some announcements that we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are are those places where he says, blessed are those who are, and you feel poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. Okay, so so we get we get the blessings first. Jesus announces what the kingdom of God is like. And then after that, he turns to one of the things that is in the heart of this sermon, which is, what is our relationship to the law of God and the Spirit of God? And in this particular discussion, Jesus has a way of framing this conversation. He'll say, you've heard it said, and then he'll quote the law, but I say to you, And then he'll tell you his teaching. All right. As a matter of fact, six times Jesus is going to lift up the law of Israel and say, you've heard it said. And then he's going to explain how they misheard and misinterpreted what God had intended for the people of God. If you want to know all of them, it's verses 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, and 43. In, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to take a moment just to look at a couple of these because I want you to see what happens. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, if you have a Bible with footnotes and you look at the end of that verse, it will refer you to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, which says, you shall not murder. If you look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Once again, the footnote will direct you, and this time it's going to be Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. All right? In verse 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. With a footnote pointing you to not just one, but three different texts. Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. And then we come to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And if you have a footnote in your Bible right there, you'll see that it points you to Leviticus chapter 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What's missing? Hate your enemy is missing. You've heard it said, don't murder. And there it was, don't murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. We go to the text, love your neighbor. It never says to hate your enemy. But Jesus says that they've heard 
Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, okay, but if it's not in the text, then where have they heard it from? What tradition is Jesus talking about if it's not in the text to hate your enemy? Where are they getting that? I can tell you. I study these things, right? This is what y'all asked me to do. So I've found an answer. Somebody added it. That's the answer. Somebody at some point added it. That they were trying to convince God's people that they can love their neighbor, hate their enemy, and be right with God. And enough folks wanted it to be possible that they agreed to it. That they accepted it as a basic rule, as general practice, as the usual habit, as a matter of fact, as common law, as the way it is, as our tradition, as our code. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. You see, the human heart comes by its hatred of enemies naturally. You say, Adam, I don't know. I don't know about that. I know we're sanctified folks, so we don't say hate. We say strongly dislike. Because <laughs> we got the spirit working on us. So we, we strongly dislike people and things. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand because I don't need to see every hand in the room yet. <clears throat> How many of you have ever sat at your desk, stood in the shower, sat, in your, sat on your couch, sat on a chair, thought, mowed the lawn and thought to yourself about an instance where you wish and you fantasize about telling someone off because you know you're right and they deserve it. And you, have, you, you were letting them have it in your mind so much that you actually smiled. You had a smile on your face. I'm not the only one. People who lie to you. People who gossip people who stab you in the back, oh, they're easy to strongly dislike. Come by that pretty naturally. But here's what I've found. For some of us, they don't even have to do any of that. We can strongly dislike folks just for thinking things we don't agree with. And I can just strongly dislike those folks, believing things that we don't believe. And Jesus comes along and says, do you want to be a real disciple of mine? Do you want to have the Lord look at you and say, well done, 
Do you, do you want to change the world for Christ? Then don't just love the folk who love you. I say unto you, love your enemies. Jesus, I was with you on the no murdering thing. I was with you on the no adultery thing. I was with you on not simply striking back. But loving with no exceptions. Jesus, that's just too much. It's too difficult. Church, I I need you to hear this. When you signed up to follow Christ, you signed up for something that was never meant to be comfortable or easy. If carrying your cross daily sounds comfortable to you, you need to do a little more study about crosses. To to my casual church attender, this is not something we do as an extracurricular activity. This walking in the Jesus way, this following Jesus even when it's difficult, that's, that's the air we breathe. That this is what we're really about. And the power of the gospel is that we are able to do hard things through the Spirit. But if I'm going to, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, love your enemy. In some ways, to understand the text, I need to understand the difference between a neighbor and an enemy. Right? And so, last week, we heard an expert in the law say, well, who is my neighbor? When I read Matthew 5 and verse 44, I immediately want to raise my hand and say, well, hold on, who's my enemy? The Greek text is interesting here. The difference between a neighbor and an enemy is not in the person. It's in my perception of them. The difference between a neighbor and an enemy is... This is, man, this is good teaching. Teach, pastor. All right. The difference between a neighbor and an enemy is not in them intrinsically. It's in my perception of them. When I look at Brad, do I see neighbor or enemy? It's in my perception, not in him. It's in me. So when you look at someone, do you see a neighbor or an enemy? What do you see when you look at the person who gets on your nerves? What do you you see when you look at the folks who talk about you behind your back? 
What do you see when you look at someone who's wronged you in the past? When you look at someone else, do you see a neighbor or an enemy? And all that's been running through my head is when I look into the eyes of my enemy, I see my brother. Well, now that's a Christian song. What do you see when you look at someone? Do you see a neighbor or an enemy? Because, because here, this is important. Because do you know what? I want to fight my enemies. When I, I've been trying to think of ways to kind of apply this in, in ways that are safe. Because I don't want to talk about anyone in the room. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so I'm going to go back to when I was 11 years old. Eddie Jackson. I want to be clear. I didn't like him then. And, and if I saw Eddie Jackson right now, I would need some of y'all to restrain me. I'm, I'm being real. See, Eddie Jackson was two years older than me. He was 13. And he tried to fight my older brother, who was two and a half years older. And that didn't work. So he moved down the line and saw me. And thought, he's 11. Surely... I can beat up him. We fought once a month at least in the parking lot over the course of about two and a half years. They had, get this, we had elders meetings that had to be stopped so that they could come out into the parking lot to separate me and Eddie Jackson. The elders of the church breaking up a fight between two preteens. Oh, that, that's, that's hardcore, man. And I know, I know, okay, so I know what you're thinking. And a friend wouldn't ask and a gentleman wouldn't tell. But yeah, I whooped him. <laughs> Every time I whooped him, I whooped him so bad, I got in trouble. I got grounded, he got stitches, all right? Like, like I wanna, I, I'm just saying, I got it, I got him. Angelo knows what I'm talking about, I got him, right? The world tells us to fight and defeat our enemies. What if our greatest witness to the world could be that we love our enemies well. If we can be a people who can love our enemies and show compassion and mercy and forgiveness to people who don't deserve it, then you show the true, authentic, transparent power of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. You see, the word neighbor is literally near person. 
And it doesn't mean proximity, like I'm closest to Henry, so Henry's my neighbor. It actually means similarity. That when I look at Henry, I see in him the kinds of things that are like me. That, that I know Henry is a person who sometimes speaks before he thinks. Don't say amen. <laughs> that, was, that was his wife saying amen. This is not, this is not the time. <clears throat> I know that Sarah is someone who sometimes speaks before she, th- no, I'm just playing. Um, <clears throat> but here's the, here's the deal. Just like me. I know that sometimes they say things they regret, just like me. And they may do things they regret that hurt people they love, just like me. So when I look at them and I see someone who is like me, they're my neighbor. Can you look at your enemies and see someone who is like you? Because all of a sudden, they stopped being an enemy. They're now your neighbor. They're the person who's near to you. The word enemy comes from the word hateful. This may be the first recorded use of the word haters. And Jesus is saying, don't hate the hateful. Don't hate those who are filled with hate. Don't reciprocate to them what they model to you. One of the ways I thought about this is don't be someone's mirror. Don't reflect their bad behavior back to them. Don't reflect their bad behavior to them in person. Don't reflect their bad behavior to them online. Christians need some social media training. I don't know how many of you have ever gotten onto Facebook and said, you know, I'm looking at this meme that's caricaturing me, but I think they got a point, and I'm going to change my mind. Right, it hasn't happened to your enemy either. We don't mirror the bad behavior of the other person. Not through text. You see, disciples know how they've learned to say that I can't let your ugly mess up my walk with God. That I refuse to engage in the same kind of mistreatment of God's children that you're practicing right now. And so what does it look like for us to love our enemies? In Matthew, he says it with two words. If you read the parallel in the Sermon on the Plain on Luke 6, he gives you all sorts of commands that are much harder. But I'm going to go back to my roots. I'm going to go back to the King James Version that I was raised with and tell you I've got three things that I want to say because Matthew 5.44 was a little longer in the Latin than it was in the Greek. And so you may remember that it said, do good to them who hate you, bless them who curse you, and pray for them who persecute you. 
Any of my brothers and sisters raised on that one right there? Because I had to commit that to memory because if I could have chose one verse that wasn't in my Bible, that was that, mm, definitely in the running. It says, first thing I can tell you, here's, here's three ways Jesus gives us to engage in love. And the first one is do good to them who hate you. Last week we talked about how sometimes you have to suck it up and be about it as those who bear witness to Jesus. This is one example of how it has to happen. Do good to them who hate you. When you encounter people who do not like you, don't just think good. Do good to them. Don't let their ugly stop you from following Jesus. Second thing, bless them who curse you. It is not in my nature to bless someone who curses me. Church, I will tell you, I know I'm saved. But I also know I have not been sanctified unto perfection yet. And so if you curse me, I might come back with some words you won't find in your Bible. And I'll pray for forgiveness later. This is, see, this is the old adage. When, when someone said to me, Here's, you know, I, when I was younger, I used to pray for a bike. And then I realized that's not how God works. So I stole a bike. And then I prayed for forgiveness because that's how God works. That's blasphemy. I want to be clear about that. That's not true. But sometimes, I'm telling you, if you come at me with words, I'm, my nature is I want to come back at you with words. And I had, I, had, I had a friend say, besides, altar call isn't all that fun unless you got something to talk about. <clears throat> That's also not a good plan. Get this. The Greek word for bless. Bless those who curse you. The Greek word for bless is eulogeo. Which is the word we get our word eulogy from. Eulogeo. That means to bless or literally speak well of. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes my best words, Scott, may be no words. Sometimes the best thing I can say to someone is to say nothing. I know that my silence can honor God. I've also learned that silence can't be misquoted, Kenny. I've learned that. It cannot. You can't misquote silence. Right? When, when they're, when they're going to talk back, they can't, they can't say you said if you didn't say anything. They can't quote you, if they can't misquote you if you didn't say anything. So, so, so silence has some good here, but eulogio, like I said, that's the word that we get our English word eulogy from, and eulogy are the words we speak over something when we're laying it to rest. When I bless those who curse me, I am speaking the words that are going to put the enmity between me and another person to rest. 
So that if, if me and Laura have some beef, but I speak blessing onto her, it just might lay that to rest. Bless those who curse you. Third thing, pray for them who persecute you. I want to I point out a word, not pray about them. <laughs> pray for them. All right, there's a difference. For their blessing. Pray for those who persecute you. And I'll be honest, I've used this in my life. I pray for those that persecute me. And sometimes I say, Lord, I want you to bless them so richly, so abundantly that they forget all about me. I, I, I pray for those who persecute me for their blessing. You do those three things and Jesus says, I want you to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's verse 48. Boy, that one's scary. Unfortunately, the word perfect, I don't think is the best word choice here. Okay? In the Greek, the word perfect can also mean the word complete, can also mean the word mature. Okay, it doesn't necessarily mean flawless all the time. What if it's telling you be mature enough to treat them, to treat your enemies the same way as you treat everyone else? Be mature enough to treat people the way God treats people. You know, like sending sunshine on the ones that are good and the ones that are bad. Or sending rain on the good and the bad alike. Learn this, just because you don't like someone doesn't mean God doesn't like someone. See, my prayer for these folks is that God will do with them whatever God wants to do, including to bless them and provide for them. Because God can love them, bless them, save them without me liking them. My prayer is that God will do for them what I want God to do for my family. To carry out his will in their life. Because I know his will in their life is not that they hate me. The Bible tells me that God is able to make our enemies into footstools. The Bible also tells me that God is able to turn my enemies into my friends. Now, it's messy. But do we believe that prayer works? Do we believe that God hears us when we pray? Then pray for your enemies. Some of you might be saying, Adam, I've tried all of that. I've, I've worked hard with all of that, but there's still this person who just, it, we, we, it, it doesn't work. They are fire and I am gasoline. It is not going to work no matter how much I try to talk good things about them. No matter how much I try to do good to them. No matter how mature I try to be, I've prayed for them and it's just not working. Okay, to you I share with you Romans 12, 18. 
If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are going to be some people who do not receive your blessing, who do not accept your doing good, who do not accept what you are trying to do to reconcile, and they don't want reconciliation. They want the enmity. They want a fight. They want an enemy, and you are not going to be able to change their mind on that, but you need to do everything you can do to live at peace with them. And the people you can't live at peace at because they just won't do it. I believe in the blessing that is set up between Jacob and Laban in Genesis 31, 49, where he says, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we're apart from one another. We're not going to be in the same space. We're not going to be in the same room. But I'll tell you what, may the Lord keep watch. I want him to bless us both. I want God to take care of us. But he's going to do that while we're not together. Okay, there, there may be some relationships that become so toxic that we can't spend a whole lot of time in proximity with one another, but we can still carry out the responsibility we have to love our enemies. Christian love doesn't say you have to sit together at every meal. Sometimes we may have to eulogize things and say, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we're apart from one another. The other thing I would say to you, if you're saying to me, Adam, I've tried it all and it hasn't worked, I'm going to say, yet. It hasn't worked yet. But I believe in the grace of God to change all things. I believe that God's love can turn every heart. And it may not have worked yet, but I want you to keep doing your best because your best It may require some space, but if God is working through you, your best is good enough. Kenny, I want you to bring your team back up. I want to tell you how I know that loving your enemies can work to make them friends. Um, this is and this is gospel okay this, this is this is gospel how I know loving enemies can work because God loved me when I was his enemy That's how I know it works. That when I was God's enemy, God loved me. And I am no longer God's enemy. And it took years to wear me down. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Even at your worst, God loves you and wants to reconcile with you. Loving enemies is a story of how God has dealt with us. Because the truth is, all of us have spent time in enemy territory. Outside the will of God. We've all stood on the wrong side of the line dividing sin and righteousness. I know you're here today and got your best church of Christ going on. But the truth is we've all spent too much time outside in enemy territory. And if, if your neighbor hasn't nodded or said amen yet, I need you to tap them on the shoulder and say he's talking to you. The Bible tells us that we all like sheep have gone astray. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And according to Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, that my righteousness at its sanctified Sunday best is filthy rags. You see, I've been God's enemy. Estranged from God's presence, removed from God's righteousness, outside of God's will, but never, never have I been beyond God's love. Even in my sin and rebellion, God loved me and saved me. Do you trust Jesus. Do you trust him? Because it can turn you from enemy to friend. From sinner to saint. I'm so thankful for a God who loves his enemies. If you have not given yourself to God, let Christ restore that relationship and reconcile you to God. God loves you and wants to see you drawn from enemy territory into friend territory. Come and be saved while we stand and sing together. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.